0: Kia ora Welcome to the New Zealand General Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr Joe Scott-Jones. Earlier seasons of this podcast focused on joy in practice. This season is an opportunity to listen in on monthly conversations I have with Dr Dave Mapleston, organized for the Pinnacle GP Network. Dave shares insights into important clinical changes he picks up in his reading as a part-time GP and advisor to the Health and Disability Commissioner. I hope you enjoy. Kia ora welcome to July's Clinical Snippets with the awesome Dave Mapleston. What have you got for us um, this month,
1: Dave? Uh, there's a little bit of um, self-reflection, uh, a bit of um, very current stuff in terms of RSV and um, vaccine side effects and just a bit of other... Uh, stuff based on some cases I've been reading about recently, um, filling out the in-between bits. Awesome, awesome. Let's get into it. So, uh, yeah, kia ora, buddy. Um, the, the first one I've put on today is asking about alcohol. And I've put this on because I had to do my um, audit of my clinical notes. And where I personally fell down hugely was uh, actually recording alcohol intake in, uh, in anybody. I think yeah. I had one person out of the 10, which was not that brilliant, um, and uh, it, it really struck a chord with me when I saw a recent UK study which has found, um, which we probably suspect anyway, but there's actually a negative linear association uh, between alcohol consumption and um, bad effects on global brain, grey matter volume uh, and white matter microstructure, so essentially there's no, there really is no safe drinking level that at any drinking level you are causing some degree of um white and gray cell dysfunction which is slightly mm. disturbing um but just really i, I guess the reminder uh, and I, I think about this a lot because i think well once you ask once you do the abc there could be five or ten minutes of your consultation um and i'm not just not quite sure what the answer is there in terms of of it not being five or ten minutes of your consultation uh but i think if the if you um know about the online screening tools and um, some excellent online resources that might speed up the process in terms of establishing there's an issue and maybe in the first instance directing the the patient to the online resources. Um, So the current recommended upper limits of drinking in New Zealand are for females two standard drinks daily but no more than 10 a week and at least two days with no drinking uh, and males, three standard drinks daily, but no more than 15 standard drinks a week and at least two days with no drinking. And what if you go on the alcohol.org.nz website, it'll actually take you through um, exercises such as pouring what you think is a standard drink and then telling you how far out you are. So it's quite, quite good at emphasising really what is um, uh, uh, intake within these so-called limits, but now acknowledging perhaps there, there is no such thing as a safe limit. Um, so the audit um, C screening tool it's easily available online. Um, so I'll just go to the audit C tool. Uh, so if you haven't got it handy, or you print it off and, and laminate it, or whatever you do, it's um, just three quick questions essentially, uh, and then interpretations uh, down here. So I think if you've um, if you're determining moderate risk or high risk, uh, and it's not the prime reason for the consultation, uh, I think very reasonable to. Um, Put the uh, turn the patient to the um, alcohol.org.nz website so they can actually do the audit C questionnaire themselves on this website, which is this uh, start the test that you're drinking okay test. Uh, and then, depending on the result of that, lots of um, additional resources for um, for self help. Um, so, that was the that was the alcohol.
0: Um, I've seen uh, quite a
1: few practices
0: deal with that issue around these sort of screening by having a sort of pre consultation questionnaire that's given to people routinely it's part of your encounter slip um know that the receptionist gives and then people can um complete that and hand it in to the clinician when they're seeing them uh which you know seems to you know address you can ask smoking you can ask sort of screening about domestic violence uh, and and alcohol and and whether people want any help with it um the inconsistently completed by the patients of course but um you know at least it's another quick opportunity to do
1: those sort of screening questions um,
0: prior to the, to the consultation.
1: Um, I think that's a great idea and I guess the other opportunity is your new patient um, yes. if they're having a, a visit with the nurse first to make sure those, I mean smoking's done fairly routinely but to uh, maybe include those other issues you're talking about as yeah. a routine as well.
0: But when you do those screening things and they, they, people come up with yes I do feel I need help it's that decision about whether this is something that I need to deal with now or whether I can get people to come back uh, or hand them on to a hip or health coach uh, at the end of that particular consultation to continue the conversation yeah. um, if you've got that
1: opportunity in your practice. Yeah, certainly um, that resource is available. But so the, the alcohol.org.nz website, I think, is really yeah, very right. directed at, a, at the consumer um,
0: um, in and a non threatening way. Yeah, yeah, particularly as it's linked with uh, then those self-help tools uh, as well, so you, you know, you. I think a lot of people, a lot of us, say, "Oh, I don't want to ask the question because I'm opening a can of worms," and but actually, you, we just need to work out what we're going to do with the can of worms if it gets opened, um, rather than trying to avoid the issue altogether. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. So, it's certainly, yeah. certainly, if you're busy and you've got a waiting room full of people, it's easier oh, to avoid the issue. Um, yeah, and 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 important too as well
0: because um, you know you can. I totally agree. You wouldn't be. Um, having to deal with this, with everything, with every patient. But, you know, you've got to have systems. In, I think it's we should have systems in place that allow us to ask these screening questions and deal with them, not necessarily at the time, but later on, because it's, it's you know, it's actually harmful to keep people waiting for long periods of time. In the time. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, And I do see from time to time, see um, complaints from very irate people who, um, who, and whose main complaint is the fact they'll keep waiting for 20 minutes.
0: Well, it, it it reduces concurrence with instructions. Um, the longer you kept waiting, as well. So you know it, that that's where I see it as causing harm. You know that you you if you start the consultation feeling angry about how long you've been waiting, you're less likely to comply with whatever instructions are, and to be more open and, uh, and so on in in the consultation. And so yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Dave. And I love the alcohol.org.nz. Um, website, even if it does give me information that I don't particularly want to hear
1: yes. about, my, about my own behaviour. My my pouring of a of a standard one standard unit of alcohol with into a large wine glass was um, I think two hundred mils over what it was meant to be. So
0: did you did you drink that and then do it again just to
1: see if it was <laughs> if you could get it more accurate? It's all done cartoon wise, which is just as well. So okay. Uh, yeah. Um, Just moving on, I think building on um, just a a bit of a dementia theme uh, from last month's um, snippets, it's just um, direct access or easy access to the IQ code informant questionnaire for dementia, uh, which is certainly uh, used internationally uh, in conjunction with other cognitive assessment tools to um, assess for dementia. And it's reliant on family, um, spouse, etc. cetera, they're informing of their impression of the, of the patient's cognitive um, skills, looking at it over the past 10 years, what has it done over the previous 10 years. So again, that's available in as a paper form or online, uh, the online version. It's um, 15, oh, sorry, 16 questions, like at scale on the side, uh, and then on the online version gives you a, a score and whether there is a concern or not. Um, so, looking at practical tasks, practical memory tasks, practical functioning tasks that require a degree of, co- a degree of cognition, uh, it's a validated tool, and uh, just might be another handy one to have in the in the um, cognitive assessment toolbox, essentially.
0: Yeah, fantastic.
1: Um,
0: the, so, this is for relatives to um, consider or to to give feedback as to whether this person is. Um, is having issues. Yeah. So I think if, yeah, yeah. If,
1: you, if you get the wife coming and saying, I'm worried about my husband's, you know, yeah. his memory or whatever, then um, it gives you a, a concrete or, or slightly more objective tool to measure what well, how serious should these concerns be? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I must get my wife to complete that for me because <laughs> I <I'm> constantly lose my keys and uh, I forget to order the right things on. The shopping and that sort
1: of well, stuff. I've just I've just done the score myself, but I think I think it's not really objective if you're doing it yourself on yourself yeah. somehow. So um, yeah, you have to get get um, your get, <laughs> your
0: miss- get your missus to do it for you.
1: But there's a downloadable printed form too, if that's easier from yeah. um, Dementia Wellington, which I've got the the link there as well. Ah, oh, brilliant. And uh, number three, this is the one really arising from um, a couple of cases I've done lately of delayed diagnosis of ovarian cancer, mm. um, and it's a it's a real issue because, it's, you know, as we all know, the symptoms are, are quite vague, quite common. Eighty-five um, percent of people diagnosed with ovarian cancer are diagnosed in the later stages of the disease, when it's not readily treatable, which is a big proportion. Um, and you know, when when do you start investigating? So certainly, um, looking at, at um, genetic risk factors and age, probably the two most significant risk factors. Um, and I haven't put, I haven't gone into huge detail on here because there's an excellent um, pathway on the Midland Region Community Health Pathways, which gives oh, yeah. quite, quite good succinct guidance, uh, including on when you should do the CA125 and the relevance of it. So in fact, they have a pathway depending on the CA125 level and your menopausal status as to whether you panic or don't panic or, or what you do. Um, but really just reinforcing the, the vague symptoms that could be quite significant, um, especially if they're frequent. Uh, and it's the, the BEAT, I think, is the acronym, uh, B for, for um, bloating, E for eating symptoms, A for abdominal pain, and T for toilet symptoms. So the, uh, there's been a couple of campaigns to the public over the years with reinforcing the BEAT uh, acronym. Um, but when patients come in with vague symptoms like a bit of bloating and, and you know, recurrent urinary symptoms, how often do we actually think, well, could this be ovarian cancer? Uh, so just in order just to facilitate, I guess, whether these whether the symptom pattern, which is quite vague, could be um, more significant than you think. The New Zealand Gynecological Cancer Foundation has a patient diary which you can download and give to your patient and get them to come back in a month or so's time. So it's a... Um, Oh, I'll just get rid of, I think that's it, yes. Um, so really just over the course of a month gets them to look at those whole beat symptoms uh, and the frequency of them. And I guess in some ways it's a way of procrastinating if you're just not sure um, whether this needs a significant further investigation or not. But, but does give some um, control to the patient uh, in terms of assisting with that decision.
0: It must add weight to the request for um, a further investigation or, or a second uh, secondary opinion uh, as well, if the if the patient's completed this. Absolutely. I, yeah. yeah. The um, I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about um, the why uh, natural therapies get turned to so frequently, and um, the 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 fact is that women use natural therapies more than, than men do. And um, it's part of the unconscious bias, I think, uh, and the uh, systemic sexism that's inherent in our, uh, in the medical system, um, that uh, investigation of, of uh, issues like this have, has been neglected. Uh, and that uh, people present with these vague symptoms and it's often put down to psychological causes or, you know, there's, you know, it's something you need to, you know, your are menopausal. It's just something you need to work your way through or whatever, whatever the um, people feel dismissed and not listened to quite frequently. Um, and this potentially gives an opportunity to start to show that, you know, we're, we're listening and and give some um some structure around what are quite often very vague symptoms. Um, the, um, so I, I think it's it's a really really useful resource, Dave. Well, it's
1: quite it's quite interesting. I've looked at um, there, there are several uh, women's health sites which basically are encouraging women to go to their GPs with with um, these sorts of symptoms. And I'm, I was trying to put myself into the. You know, into the uh, um, role of a woman who's just w- just read the site, encouraging her to go to the doctor. She goes to the doctor and gets, you know, um, dismissed in some ways. And, and I think ovarian cancer is a prime area where cognitive um, cognitive errors come into play. So one of the cases I've done most recently, this woman was being, well, she was an alcoholic, um, yeah. but she was being treated for three separate conditions: for irritable bowel, for um, reflux. Uh, and for recurrent or irritable bladder, it was called. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, this was actually a symptom complex that was a result of ovarian cancer rather than three different unrelated yeah. Yeah. symptoms. I mean,
0: I, I absolutely. We're, I think we, we've, we've all been there with ovarian cancer in terms of that realisation you know, that when, it, when, it, when the disease actually sort of shows itself properly, you sort of look back over the symptoms and think, oh you know, that has been developing. Um, I remember one patient really well who we did um, ultrasound scans on and there was nothing. And, you know, it was sort of six or eight months later, repeat scan showed um, uh, a cancer. And whether it was missed in the first scan or, you know, was just developing, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's... um,
1: yeah, it's, Night, a, it's nightmare a, material. It's a, a wicked disease. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. interestingly, in that scenario, uh, the health pathways does give guidance um, when you when you then rely on the CA one twenty five, right? Um, and what it does sequentially, if you're suspicious and the scan is negative in a postmenopausal woman, oh, yeah. woman, then you can do sequential CA one twenty fives, and that can can guide your um, your referral.
0: Oh, well, that's that's new to me. So that's that's yeah. fantastic. I must look at that yeah so it's all, all yeah. on the
1: pathway, so certainly have a look at the pathway yeah. um number four just uh, update on medication issues so there there are a few old favorites disappearing off the schedule but i'm I'm old so they might't be everybody else's old favorites oh, but no. um diclofenac um so voltar and s r 100s basically are being discontinued uh although other forms of uh, formulations of diclofenac uh, aren't affected uh, and that's next still got a few months where it's going to be around the place but um mm patients that are taking, well, there shouldn't be anyone taking it regularly, but patients that in whom it's their favourite might be yeah. uh, need to be forewarned. Uh, so prazosin, we talked about this before, that that's been discontinued. And terazosin also is being delisted from 1st of August 2021, which really leaves only doxazosin as your um, uh, prescribable alpha blocker. Uh, and it's said to be suitable for most of the indications that Prazicin or terazacin were being used for. And interestingly, it is a suitable alternative uh, based on current research for management of sleep disturbance and nightmares in, in PTSD. Oh,
0: wow.
1: And that's where I've seen prasacin used most frequently of late is in PTSD. And I guess they'd be the patients, or some of those might be patients who would be very uh, reluctant to, um, to change medications if it was being effective. But yeah, the research does um, support use of doxazosin in the same situation. Don't ask me how it works. but um, I, I did not know that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't initiated, a psychiatrist had initiated in a couple of patients with oh. with good effect, and I'd never heard of it before, so that's why I did a bit of research. Yeah. Uh, Pimaphicoc cream, my favourite blunderbuss cream. Oh is no. born, uh, yeah, <laughs> Won't be available after February 2022, although the ointment is still going oh. to be available. Oh, well that's alright. So it's not so bad. There is um, Vidurum KC Cream, which is a combination of uh, triamcinolone, gramicidin, and uh, neos- neomycin, right. which is probably the closest equivalent in cream form. But um, yeah, I guess if the ointment's still available, we've still got our, our favourite hanging around the house.
0: I'll probably be using the ointment more frequently than the, the cream anyway, personally. for um, uh, I use it sometimes for nappy rash. And it's sometimes for uh, balanitis, um, particularly if
1: you've got um, a bit of phimosis. Yeah, um, yeah. So certainly it has has had its place. Um, and the other, uh, I've left the, the other issue which has been resolved last because it leads into the RSV um, part of the snippets. So um, there was a, there's been a huge increase in demand for ready uh, in June essentially, and this is, this is international as well as national, uh, and, and originally there was going to be a, um, a supply issue, but there was a delivery in mid-July, which has since resolved that. But when the supply issue was um, an issue, and it could well be still in, uh, before winter's ended, uh, pharmax state that they have received advice that you can crush prednisone tablets to get the appropriate dosage and mix them with um, uh, soft food or water, but it has to be done immediately before administration. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it would require pretty close um, or pretty uh, comprehensive instructions to the parent if you're giving a small dose to a young child. Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised
0: when I read that because I I, I, my, I don't underst- I understand them. That- prednisone doesn't have any role in the treatment of RSV. Well, here we
1: go. That was a very good segue. So RSV and bronchiolitis. So essentially, um, there's a, there is an epidemic of RSV at the moment with bronchiolitis being the, the main uh, presenting form. Um, but um, this quote about uh, pneumonia is from the BPAC article, but just if, if it's a very high fever and focal crackles, Uh, RSV can cause pneumonia so that could represent pneumonia rather than bronchiolitis Mm. Um, and presence of wheeze alone can't be used to distinguish between the two but in fact the bronchiolitis does is a much more common presentation than RSV pneumonia. So again referring back to the health pathways gives excellent clear guidance on management of bronchiolitis including the red flags uh, and the red flags being apnea, dehydration, lethargy, uh, O2 sets less than 92% and fever in the very young child. Um, and there's a, a really useful grading tool, uh, which again, I've, I've printed off um, and have it in my little folder of frequent references. Uh, and it, it looks at several symptoms, including um, respiratory rate, heart rate, um, feeding, um, general, general sort of reactiveness, and gives you mild, moderate or severe grading and then specific instructions on treatment based on those gradings. But importantly, and and this is throughout the literature that I've looked at, not just a New Zealand thing, there is no evidence for efficacy efficacy of um, beta-2 agonists, inhale beta-2 agonists, ipratropium, systemic or local corticosteroids. Adrenaline, unless it's peri-arrest, and that includes nebulized adrenaline, nebulized saline, any antibiotics, so fewer than 1% of um, children with RSV will have a concurrent bacterial infection, uh, and any antivirals. So there are quite strong recommendations against using any of those um, modalities of treatment in, in someone with bronchiolitis. Um, and what I'm tending to do is if I'm, if I'm happy that the patient's okay to stay at home, which still seems to be the majority that I've seen is giving them printouts from either kids health or health navigator, which talks about bronchiolitis and when to seek help again. Um, one of the, one of the issues I've got in my practice is there's only one pediatric pulse oximeter and in a very young child, the adult pulse oximeter is not, not accurate. No. Um, but I think the, getting the O2 sets is probably quite an important part of the assessment. Uh, and there's a really good comprehensive um, BPAC BCAC article from 2017 that runs through the assessment and treatment of bronchiolitis, um, which is uh, easily available online if you want a quick refresher.
0: Yeah. I had a look at it on uh, Dynamed as well and some really good resources on on Dynamed. Um, you know, just detailing the papers that back up what you're saying there about the um, uh, about well, the fact that there isn't really any evidence that the treatment helps, um, the, and our job really is to decide whether somebody is fit to stay at home or to go needs to go into hospital. Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. I think some of the additional uh, information which you mightn't necessarily think of at the time, but is, is equally as important as the um, no smoking household. Yeah. So smoking really aggravates it, and. If, you know, if you identify in this situation that the patient's living in a cold, damp house, which is also an aggravating factor, um, there's the um, um, application for, um, what is it, some uh, insulation business that, that yeah. can be done. Yeah. Although I, although I would have thought most houses, most rentals should be um, fully insulated by now, shouldn't they?
0: Yeah, well, they should be working on it at least. The um, Just a little thing, I... I um, uh, do, it. I mean, I, I always do uh, percussion in children. I find it a really useful part of the examination, particularly for, so the, I'll, I'll often be um, uh, helped with the diagnosis of pneumonia because of a dull percussion note on, on one side of the chest, um, the, um, and uh, which I you know, might otherwise have missed. Um, I don't know whether you have the same experience.
1: Uh, yeah, very. I mean, very young babies, I find that a bit difficult when they're squirming around the place. Although if they're, if they're held against the mother's um, shoulder, over the mother's shoulder, yeah. um, it makes it a little easier. What I have problems with sometimes is um, getting an accurate respiratory rate. Yeah. And I have got an app um, which I've downloaded for that, a uh, Canadian app uh, called R-Rate, which um, if I bring my phone up here... Oh, for some reason, it's in Spanish at the moment, but essentially, you—I don't know if you can see that—you um, oh, tap, yeah. you tap every time the, the the patient bleeds. So it's tap, tap, tap. Oh. Yeah. Hold on, I go to English. Um, vibrate with sound. And
0: you tap. Uh, at
1: so each tap, time tap on, the... tap on inhalation. So it says tap on inhalation. Yeah. yeah. You tap, 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 tap and it gives you a rate.
0: Oh, fantastic. R-rate. R-rate,
1: right. right. yep.
0: Awesome. And you can get it in Spanish
1: as well, which is really Well, important. yeah, somehow it had been turned, it had been t- <laughs> a Spanish switch had been turned on. I must have been when, when I was trying to, thinking what language I'll learn in retirement. But uh, <laughs> um, Anyway, so I guess that the message there was, what, why has there been this great surge in, in ready, pen? It could be older children with asthma exacerbations, I guess, um, but just to make sure it's not uh, very young children with bronchiolitis that's uh, that's um, causing the, the surge in ready-pread use. Uh, and last of all is the news, which I'm sure everybody's aware of by now, which is the uh, association of uh, mRNA vaccines, uh, COVID vaccine, with myocarditis and pericarditis. Still yeah. extremely rare, yeah, um, but just something to be aware of. So. WHO came out with a a, um, statement on 9th of July and uh, Medsafe released some information on 21st of July. So I I guess the important things are it's still a a rare side effect, less than one in a million overall um, uh, in conjunction with uh, comoratney, that should be. Um, And it's going to be added to the data sheet uh, sheet shortly. Um, And really just encouraging vaccinators to be aware of the signs and symptoms of myocarditis uh tends to be younger men rate highest in younger men aged 18 to 24 and after the second dose mm. so in that group um it was about 8 per million after dose 2 um, ah, okay and you so it's 8 times the the background rate um it occurs uh, mostly within 4 days but in a few cases up to 14 days after the vaccination and the actual Range I've seen has been from zero to something like 156 days, yeah. uh, but that would those would be the absolute outliers. Um, and Medsafe have received reports for uh, some people after the first dose and some women, so it's not it's not exclusively young males. Usually mild, um, and usually um, individuals recover. They say within a short time following standard treatment and rest. So I tried to find out what standard treatment was. Um, and generally, it seems the investigations are an ECG, a troponin, um, perhaps a CRP, um, and a younger person, an older person, yeah. I guess you might be concerned about whether it could be causing heart failure, or but you'd, you'd base that on, on symptoms. Um, and I, I got really um, quite extreme... Um, variation in, in what management is. Yeah. So up to up to date, says avoid NSAIDs, heavy alcohol consumption, and vigorous exercise, and some other places I looked at said use NSAIDs. Yeah. Uh, so and but up to date said look, NSAIDs not only are they ineffective, they can also um, um, make things worse. Yeah. So uh, I guess it needs to be kept in mind. Personally, I think if I was suspicious, I would I would ring the cardiology reg for advice. Uh, yeah. Really, maybe do those initial investigations, but certainly there's, there is um, consensus around avoiding heavy alcohol consumption, which might be quite relevant in young males, uh, and vigorous exercise until fully recovered. Yeah,
0: there was a useful um, uh, up-to-date uh, sort of thing on the college website as well, um, which uh, really, and and I, I I follow that up. So Health Pathways is silent on this, um, and um, so again, looked at at dynamed and a uh, culture um, as a treatment. Yep. But basically, if you know, if they've got ST changes and um, and, and chest pain, you know that you you've got a, uh, a elevated um, cardiac enzymes in, and a, and a CRP, then they're going into hospital for an assessment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the um, and I, I think you no, know, is that question about a troponin in the community or um, a troponin in in the hospital setting. If you're doing a troponin, then you know you're going to act on the result potentially. So do you send somebody into ED to have that done? They've got ST changes and chest pain. You're sending them to hospital for that um, for that next uh, step. Unless you've got the ability to do the the uh, enzymes yourself at home, it does get really complicated when somebody's, you know, um, n- not they're in this age group, so the the risk of ischemic heart disease is actually, or you know, uh, is limited. Um, the um, you know, do, are you safe to keep them at home? Uh, again, I think this is the this is the conversation with the cardiology reg. Um, I I don't believe that we should be doing this to cover ourselves, Um, but you know, getting a further opinion and recording it is not going to do us any harm, is it? No,
1: that's right. I I think I mean it's going to be case dependent, obviously, but I think say a thirty-five-year-old, in fact, with mild myocarditis, from what I've read, you're unlikely to see any changes on the ECG. Right. Pericarditis, and particularly severe pericarditis, you get more significant changes. Yeah. Um, But I, I think I agree absolutely that um because it's not something we are dealing we deal with on a regular basis it's useful to seek advice because it is something we don't deal with on a regular basis so yeah. uh, um but one important thing is if, if, if the diagnosis has been confirmed or is is highly likely to make sure um you notify calm yeah and yeah. i've got the dedicated um vaccination reporting forms available online now mm. uh and that was it for
0: july Absolutely brilliant once again, Dave. Thank you so much uh, for the for the work you put in to keep us uh, abreast of these things and um, the really topical. The um, I mean, this is an incredibly rare um, potential side effect. Hopefully, it won't put people off um, the vaccination. I haven't heard much in the community uh, about it, so I'm I'm hoping it's sort of it, people are being realistic about the
1: actual risks. Um, yeah, that's in the vaccine. Well, we but, should, um, if we're going to do give out eight million vaccines over the over the next few months, I guess we're going to we're going to maybe see eight or ten cases, perhaps. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, yeah, yeah we're unlucky to have one in your practice, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Dave. Absolutely okay. brilliant. And uh, you are plenty of time to get ready for your next meeting. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> it's ANO. Thanks for listening. Please like and share this podcast if you found it useful. The show notes on the podcast website contain links to all the resources that we discussed. A video version of this podcast is available on the Pinnacle Practice website at pinnacle.co.nz. Ka kite ano.